are Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Monday, November 22nd. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you can also check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talk and Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And if you like what you're hearing today, then please be sure to go and follow the podcast. You can also go and leave me a review if you want to as well. It's all for free wherever you may listen to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. If you go and follow the show right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. All right, good morning, everyone. As always, thank you for tuning into Lockdown Blackhawks and for making the show your first listen here to start your week. Two games over the weekend for the Chicago Blackhawks. A back to back on Saturday and Sunday night up in Canada. Game one coming against. The high-powered and always dangerous Edmonton Oilers with the back half coming in Vancouver against a struggling Canucks squad. And in the episode I recorded on Saturday prior to the game against Edmonton, I talked about how that was going to be the first real test here for the Blackhawks under interim head coach Derek King. The teams they played prior to that on their four-game winning streak, not exactly the most impressive, to put it nicely, and a lot of those wins came at the United Center, so I was really curious to see, excuse me, how the Hawks were just going to fare against a a high-octane Oilers offense, led by, obviously, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and in the first 10 minutes of the game on Saturday, I actually thought the Hawks came out with a pretty strong start. They looked pretty good. They had their legs going early, but Things just got out of hand real fast. And that was one thing that also kind of bit them in the butt earlier on in the year under Jeremy Colleton. When things started to go south, the moment things weren't going the way they had hoped, the tumbleweed effect kind of started to kick in and and things just went from bad to worse in the blink of an eye. And that's kind of what happened once again here on Saturday against Edmonton. Before you knew it, the, the game was basically already over before it even started there in the first period. Um, <clears throat> McDavid opens up the scoring with a rebound goal in front. Kirby Doc with some sort of poor support in front of the net with two def- with the two Blackhawks defensemen caught below Kevin Lankin, and he needs to be the one that's standing strong in front of him, and that was actually a play Eddie Olchek broke down in the studio yesterday. McDavid jumps right in front, taps in the rebound, all of a sudden it's one nothing Edmonton, and then like a minute later, all of a sudden, they were on a 5-on-3. I was like, what just happened? And Lankinen gets caught overcommitting, although along with <clears throat> basically the entire Blackhawks penalty kill unit as well, they all overcommitted to Leon Dreisaitl at the right circle, just dishes it up to Tyson Berry at the blue line, and he hammers a one-timer from the point to make it 2 to nothing quickly. Didn't take long for things to start heading in the wrong direction for the Hawks. That top-ranked power play. <sighs> Sorry. I have a little bit of a dry throat this morning, folks. Bear with me. Uh, but <clears throat> that top-ranked power play for the Oilers, that special teams matchup between the Hawks' strong penalty kill and that top power play I thought was going to be a really a key factor in this one. And uh, 
not the greatest start. Two penalties early in that first period, and then uh, the best power play in the NHL, converting at over 40% so far this year, uh, was able to find the back of the net in a hurry. But the turning point for me in that first period really was, uh, it wasn't falling behind two to nothing. It was when a couple moments after Tyson Berry's goal, the Hawks got their own opportunity on the power play, and they had a chance to at least cut their deficit in half before heading into the intermission. And instead, what winds up happening? Seth Jones makes a careless behind-the-back drop pass. Kyler Yamamoto scoops it up and beats Lankinen with a wrister. And that made it 3 to nothing Oilers. And with the way the Hawks' offense has been playing recently, I mean, that was basically all she wrote right there and then. And one thing I also wanted to be sure to mention... On Saturday's episode, uh, I know that I did question Derek King's decision a little bit to start flanking in over Flurry on Saturday when Edmonton was just obviously the better of the two teams. It was going to be the bigger challenge for the Hawks, and Flurry had won three in a row and was playing really solid in net. But honestly, it, it would not have mattered who was in there for the Hawks with the way that they played in that second half of the first period. The defense in front was just nowhere near good enough. So I was actually <laughs> a little bit glad that King wound up going with Lankinen in the front half of the back-to-back to kind of save Flurry for that one against Vancouver. And spoiler alert, if you didn't watch the game last night, we really needed him. So wound up being a, a fine decision from Derek King. Uh, by the way, before the end of the first period went over, the Oilers did manage to make it 4 to nothing with a, a dirty goal from Ryan McLeod. Once again, no support in front of the net. Caleb Jones and Riley Stillman get parted like the Red Sea. They're each on both half walls. No one's there in front to support, and McLeod has a bunch of open ice down the middle, goes forehand, backhand to beat Lincoln, and didn't stand a chance once again. And, and the Blackhawks' defense as a whole, not only just the defensemen. By the way, no Calvin DeHaan in this one due to some right wrist soreness. I talked about that on Saturday's episode that while he was listed as a game-time decision, he was more likely not going to suit up in that one. That wound up happening, uh, and Caleb Jones and Riley Stillman kind of had to play some bigger minutes probably than they were expecting. Same with Eric Gustafson. Um, and that definitely didn't help the Blackhawks cause, as I said earlier, that tumbleweed effect, all, all of a sudden it was a four goal deficit for the Blackhawks in that first period. And it was again, basically over already at that point with the way the offense has been struggling. Alex Dabrinkit did go on to add a pair of goals to, to make the final score look a little bit more respectable. That also now gives Dabrinkit 11 goals on the season and extended his Point streak to five games as well at the time. Both Patrick Kane and Seth Jones also were able to to extend their point streaks too, thanks to a couple of assists on Debrinket's goal. Uh, Kane upped his point streak to four games, while Jones managed to extend his to eight. But I wanted to talk about Alex Debrinket for a second, folks. I mean, this kid just continues to get better and better and better, and keeps getting more versatile and keeps adding to his arsenal, uh, and he already, I, I really believe, is one of the best pure goal scorers in the entire NHL right now. Bless our lucky stars that Alex Dabrinkit fell in our laps in the second round, thanks to every other NHL team that passed on him because they thought he was too small. Only 23 years old, he's already an incredible young talent, and as I just mentioned, I, I think 
He's one of the best pure snipers across the National Hockey League. And without the cat, I don't even want to know where this Blackhawks team would be right now. It would literally be the Patrick Kane show. Uh, and Cat's second goal of the game actually made it 4-2 to two with about 11 minutes to go in that third period. Credit to the Blackhawks, mostly Kevin Lankinen, uh, for keeping that one close, although they fell behind uh, by a bunch early. Um, but in the third period, Leon Dreisaitl would go on to put the dagger in the Blackhawks. The Oilers' second shorthanded goal of the game, absolutely unacceptable for the Hawks. Not only to not score on their own man advantage, but to give the Oilers two goals well shorthanded. You do that to Edmonton, McDavid, and Dreisaitl, you're probably not going to come away with a win. And that's all the Oilers needed to seal the 5-2 to two victory. And, and honestly, this could have been 7 or 8-2 to two for the Oilers had it not been for a pretty strong effort from Kevin Lankin. And even though the stats won't show it, for his first start in nearly two weeks, uh, I thought Lankin put together a pretty strong effort. He just didn't get the help that he needed to from his defense. And for the first time in the Derrick King era, the Blackhawks, not only did they not come away victorious, but they were a pretty big disappointment, in my opinion, because not only did it snap their winning streak, but they also fell way flat of the bar in their first major test under Derrick King without Jeremy Colleton. All right, there's a quick recap of the Blackhawks' loss to the Edmonton Oilers on Saturday. Coming up in just a moment, I'm going to get into yesterday's game against the Vancouver Canucks. But first... I need to talk to you all about DirecTV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more right now at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Welcome back to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Moving on now into segment two on the show today, let's get into the second game of the back-to-back over the weekend for the Blackhawks, which came last night against the Vancouver Canucks, a struggling Canucks squad, might I add, that had lost six of their previous eight games heading into the contest. And for the Blackhawks, after getting their win streak snapped on Saturday by Edmonton, this one, it just really felt like one they needed to have in order to keep keep things on track during this road trip. And I said, before they left to head out west, that I, I was actually talking with Charlie Romeliotis at practice about this on Wednesday, uh, or, or actually I think it might have been Tuesday, but five points or above, that would be a huge win for the Hawks during this four-game road trip. Not having much success before heading out west on the road this season. And in order to do that, they needed to come away with a victory against Vancouver, and it wasn't pretty. It was actually one of the worst performances I've seen from this team in the past couple of weeks, but thanks to Mark andre Fleury's efforts in net, Fleury, as expected, did return after getting Saturday night off. 
Thanks to his efforts in that, the Blackhawks managed to sneak out of Rogers Arena with a 1-0 win. Fleury stopped all 40 shots on goal that he faced to record his first shutout as a member of the Hawks and also to pick up his fourth consecutive victory in net. And I don't even know what, what else to say. I mean, the Blackhawks just did not stand a chance in this one had Fleury not been on his A game. He also got some help from the goalpost a couple of times, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times Vancouver drew iron in this one, but luck happened to be on Flowers' side. None of them managed to find the back of the net, and thanks to his play, the Blackhawks, they did not deserve a win in this one, but they got the two points that they needed in Vancouver. And through 40 minutes, especially in that second period, the second period was maybe the worst under Derrick King. The Canucks were completely dominant, and I mean, chance after chance, the Blackhawks' defense might have looked worse than they did against the Oilers on Saturday, but Flower just continues to be rock solid here for the Hawks, and that's probably been the biggest difference for this team under Derrick King. I mean, the defense, it hasn't been as bad as it was over the weekend, um, but Fleury has been, he's been balling out of control back there in net. During this four-game win streak, Flower has now stopped 135 of the 140 shots that he's faced. Let's face it, he is the biggest difference in the Blackhawks in these past six games. He's the reason why they've managed to come out victorious and able to kind of rattle some together here. Um, he's just been incredible. Only five goals allowed during his four-game win streak as well. And when you get goaltending like you got last night, I mean, you have a chance each and every night, no matter how poor you play. And the Blackhawks literally proved that by putting together basically, I, I can't say anything else, but a horrendous performance through the opening 40 minutes, but they still managed to come away with the win. Uh, and the reason I only say through the first 40 minutes is because in that third period, I will admit, the defense was much better than it was, especially in that second period. And even in the first, I think the Hawks got outshot 15-6 to in the opening 20 minutes, and Flower already had 30 saves through the first two periods. But in that third period, through like nearly... It was over the halfway mark for sure. The Canucks had only recorded two or three shots on goal. So I will give credit to the Blackhawks defense for managing to tighten things up a little bit in front of Flower down the stretch. Um, and while there was no score through the first two periods, the Hawks, a couple minutes into the third, finally were able to break through. Taves wins an offensive zone faceoff. Taves actually struggled at the dot against the Canucks last night. But one of his few wins managed to kickstart the Hawks' lone goal of the game as he wins it back. Strom moves the puck over to Gustafson, and he just kind of flicks one on net. And who else but the workhorse, Brandon Hagel, to get a piece of it and put it past De <clears throat> Thatcher Demko to give the Blackhawks a one to nothing lead. That was Hagel's first goal since returning from a shoulder injury. Uh, he actually scored in that game on November 7th against the Predators where he got hurt. So that's technically his second goal in his last three games, also his fifth of the season. Eric Gustafson also records his, four, his first point in the last eight contests as well. And with the way that Flower was playing, that wound up being all the Blackhawks needed because he was that stellar. So ultimately, 
thanks to Flurry's efforts. A weekend split for the Blackhawks. They fall short to Edmonton on Saturday, but pick up a big one to nothing win in the back-to-back on Sunday against the Canucks. We'll take the two points, but the Blackhawks' defense definitely still has a ways to go, and the only reason they were able to come away with those two points is because Flurry stopped all 40 shots that he faced. Because of that, they did manage to earn at least one win over the weekend, and that now moves their record to 6-10-2 through 18 games on the season. One other quick takeaway that I wanted to be sure to mention from last night's game, and also, I guess, <clears throat> now on the season overall, that, as I said, we're 18 games through, nearly a, a quarter of the way done with the season. The Blackhawks continue to not get any help from their depth players in the lineup. They didn't get it in game one. They're still not getting it in game 18. And here are the list of Blackhawks players so far who have yet to either score a goal this season or have only found the back of the net once. Jonathan Taze, Dylan Strome, Jujar Kara, Ryan Carpenter, Connor Murphy, Jake McCabe, Eric Gustafson, Henrik Borgstrom, Philip Kurashev, Calvin DeHaan, Mike Hardman, and Riley Stillman. Stillman, by the way, I suffered kind of a gruesome-looking knee-slash-leg injury against the Canucks last night. Eric Gustafson is literally hurting this team on the ice now. Gustafson checks former Hawk Tyler Mott into Stillman's knee, kind of folded awkwardly underneath him, and he headed back to the Hawks' dressing room in quite a hurry, so... Definitely not a good look there for Riley Stillman. We don't have any updates on the situation at the moment, but that could be another tough break for the Blackhawks' defense because they just continue to not be able to be 100% healthy throughout the season. Seems like at some point either one of them's on the COVID list or someone's dealing with an injury. Still have not had the full group that they've wanted to here so far in the regular season. But going back to my original point, Out of the guys that dressed for the Blackhawks last night against Vancouver, 13 of them have one goal or fewer so far this season. No one else, literally no one else on this team can score right now besides Kane, DeBrinckit, and Brandon Hagel. It's actually unbelievable. I don't know what needs to happen at this point, but the depth guys need to step up for this team because not every night, not every game is going to come against a bottom-tier team like it has in the past couple of weeks or... Flurry's not going to be able to bail them out each and every night like he has recently. It's completely unacceptable. First off, Jonathan Taze did not have a goal through 18 games. I get it. You're just getting back to the swing of things, but I, come on, dude. 18 games and no goals? We're paying you $10.5 million, buddy. I get it. I understand. But eventually, you got to break this drought. Dominic Kubelik doesn't have a goal in the last, what, 11 games now. He needs to be a lot better than he has recently. And even the defense as well. The the Blackhawks' defense only has two goals from guys not named Seth Jones this year. And Seth only has two himself also. So only four goals through 18 games from the Blackhawks' defensemen. And the two that weren't from Seth Jones, one was from Connor Murphy in the opening game of the year versus Colorado, and the other was Jake McCabe's empty netter versus Seattle this past Friday, or this past Wednesday. So the defense, not only not only is it the depth forwards, but the defense needs to be chipping in more to do their part as well when the, when the Blackhawks offense overall is struggling this much. All right, I think that go, is going to take care of my recap of the Blackhawks being able 
to come away with a 1-0 victory against Vancouver thanks to Marc-Andre Fleury posting his first shutout as a member of the Blackhawks. Coming up in just a moment, it's time for our weekly Mailbag Monday fan segment where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners right here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. But first, I need to talk to you all about Built Bar, which is the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Built Bar has a ton of awesome classic flavors like coconut, salted caramel, double chocolate, and they now also have a couple of Thanksgiving flavors as well that can help you eat the foods that you want for much fewer calories, like cherry. Have a cherry Built Bar instead of having a cherry pie. Or have a grasshopper cookie Built Bar, which is really good if you're a fan of mint. And Built Bar also has cookies and cream, raspberry, my personal favorite, blueberry muffin, and many more flavors, all of which are covered in 100% real chocolate and are soft, easy to chew, and great for the keto diet. Not only are all the bars low calorie and low sugar, but they're also a great source for protein and fiber. So make sure to go to BuiltBar.com today and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's a capital L in LOCKED, then the number 15 to get 15% off your next order. One more time, be sure to check out BuiltBar.com for a delicious and healthy snack option. There are going to be some incredible Black Friday deals coming up this week as well. And definitely use our promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next Built Bar order. All right, we're back here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, getting into segment three today. It's time for our weekly Mailbag Monday fan segment, where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners right here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. The first question, let me check my phone, see if I got any more questions this morning. All right, the first question I wanted to answer today comes from at Rick the Retired One on Twitter. Rick, thanks for taking the time to answer the question. I greatly appreciate it, and thank you for all the support. Rick asked, will anyone on the Hawks not named DeBrinket, Kane, or Hagel score another goal this season? Well, Rick, I've been saying for a while now that I felt it was only a matter of time for some of the Blackhawks to break through. Jonathan Taze, for example, I felt for sure by now it wouldn't take 18 games for him to score a goal, but here we are. Same with Dominic Kubelik. I figured after having some better performances against Pittsburgh and Nashville, that it was just a matter of time for him to break through and snap that long goal drought. I figured eventually guys like Henrik Borgstrom would break through or maybe the fourth line would be able to create something, Mike Hardman maybe. But that just continues not to happen. It's literally the Kane to Brinkett and I guess the Hagel show too. Um, Yeah, Rick, I I don't know. (laughs) I would have thought by now the Blackhawks offense would be able to chip in more than they have, and I honestly can't believe this Blackhawks team is struggling to score goals right now. That doesn't, I mean, they're a lot better on paper, certainly offensively, than they were last season, so that really doesn't make any sense to me, but hopefully um, Tuesday against Calgary will be the day where we finally get some support from guys not named Kane, DeBrinckit, or Hagel. Second question I wanted to answer comes from Rafael Manesis, longtime listener from down in Brazil. Rafael, as always, thank you for the support and thanks for asking another question this week. Rafael asked, it's time to put 19 between 12 and 88. I can see only positive outcomes from it. Doc also needs a change to find a new way to succeed. Agree? Uh, I mean, with the Blackhawks offense struggling this much, I do think that at some point here they got to give Jonathan Tays a look with that top line, not only to get him going, 
but also considering how much Kirby Dak has struggled from the faceoff dot this year, I mean, he's still well below 40%, and if I had to guess, among the worst in the NHL, if not the worst in face in terms of faceoff win percentage, with his struggles continuing, <clears throat> and Kane and Debrinket being the ones to own, they're the only ones that have been able to score goals for this offense consistently. We got to get them the puck as often as possible, and Kirby's not able to do that right now. So, if anything, give Johnny some looks with them in the offensive zone to give them some more cycle time and just have the puck on their stick more often. Good things happen when those guys have the puck in dangerous areas, and I think. Um, with the way this Blackhawks offense has been struggling as a whole, they need to get Taves going. And also, like I said, Doc's faceoff struggles. I do think that eventually Jonathan Taves is going to start getting some looks with 12 and 88. As for Doc, he just continues to be a little bit frustrating. I mean, clearly the defense, that side of his game, he's going to be a stellar two-way player. He already basically is. I mean, he's near the league, near the league leaders in the NHL and turnovers. Um... But the face-off struggles and his inability to have a shoot-first and aggressive mentality in the offensive zone, I think, is really hurting this team right now. Again, just frustrating because there are parts of his game that you're super excited about, and then there are other areas where he clearly still needs to work. So um, I do think that eventually there could be uh, a change in the lines with Jonathan Taze moving up to the first line and Kirby Doc maybe slotting into a second or third line center role, which I think is a little bit more realistic for the type of player that he is at the moment. The third question I wanted to answer comes from at Chris Brown one, who says, assuming Flurry is dealt, would another goalie come back as part of the package or would Subban and Delia be enough in net? First off, Chris, I, I know there were recent rumblings of Marc-Andre Fleury potentially being traded. And funny enough, the Edmonton Oilers were the team that uh, I believe it was either Elliot Friedman or Pierre Lebron linked Fleury to. But I think that was all speculation. And also considering the way that Fleury has been playing recently, I mean, are the Blackhawks really going to be in a hurry to move him? Um, four wins in a row. He's been spectacular in all of them. And also considering his contract, I mean, if someone's willing to take on that entire deal come trade deadline time and the Hawks aren't in the thick of things. I mean, I think at that point you definitely got to move him, but at the same point, we got to ask ourselves, it really just depends on the position because if we want to take assets and we're completely out of it, then yeah, I think we do move Marc-Andre Fleury, even if we have to retain a little bit of that salary because it's only for this season. It just is really going to depend on the Hawks situation, and at this point, it's too early in the year to go and trade a goaltender of that caliber, in my opinion. But if he were to get moved, I honestly do think that Subban and Delia would be enough because both of those guys, in my opinion, are capable of being backups in the NHL. They kind of have gotten the short end of the stick, if you will, by being placed down in the AHL once again. Um, so if Flurry is to get moved, which I doubt is going to happen until March, if it's going to happen at any time, I think it would be then. Um, then I do think that one of Subban or Delia would probably be called up to serve as the backup for Kevin Lankinen. The fourth and final question that I wanted to answer today comes from at eProfit99, who asked, why is Gustafson on this team? I feel ya. It's been frustrating. And honestly, Gustafson didn't even play bad over the weekend. I, I will give him some credit. I thought he put together two decently solid games. And uh, as I mentioned, he manages to snap that seven-game pointless drought. But it's it's tough. And I think if he were to be serving as the seventh defenseman, we'd be looking at him a little bit differently if he wasn't playing each and every night. 
But due to the injuries and the COVID issues that the Blackhawks have had, Gustafson's had to play each and every night, basically, since they brought him on. And obviously, the defense still is bad. He's frequently just running around the defensive zone and is getting danced around. Uh, He's not very good along the boards. That side of his game just has never been a strength, and that continues to be an issue. And with kind of the offensive struggles as well, I mean, it's really frustrating to watch him play night in and night out when we know we have youngsters in Rockford right now who could benefit from that ice time. But at the same point, they're benefiting from major roles in Rockford when they might not be getting in each and every game with the Hawks. And hopefully Stillman won't be out for too much longer or else Gustafson probably is going to continue to serve as that sixth defenseman and will continue to be in the lineup for the Blackhawks as much as it's kind of tough to watch him play defense on a nightly basis. All right, I think that is going to wrap up Monday, November 22nd's episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show and be sure to follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app and you can get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to check out the Lockdown Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. You can get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day by simply following the Lockdown Bets podcast. It's free and available on all platforms, so be sure to check out Lockdown Bets right now wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can catch me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you can also check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at TalkinHockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And for any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, you can always email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. You can also hit me on one of my Twitter accounts, or you can call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, thanks again for listening to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.